Welcome back to What the HR, episode number four. I am Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with C.H. Robinson and a board member with Twin City Sherm. And I'm Mike Toole, Twin City Sherm board member and HR technology consultant for SAP SuccessFactors. Before I give a brief overview on our December events, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners for their recent five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. So our listener, HR and OD Lover wrote, this podcast does a wonderful job of delving into strategic HR initiatives that drive business outcomes. The hosts do a great job asking questions, and the interviewees are articulate and thought-provoking. So thank you to HR and OD Lover. If you're also a fan of the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. The ratings help to promote the podcast and increase interest in the topics that we're covering. If you choose to leave us a rating and a review, we might select your review to read during our next episode. All right, so we have a couple of exciting events coming up in December on the topics of being an effective leader and how to be a role model for organizational success. To learn more about the dates, details, and locations of these events, visit our website at tcsherm.org. That is tcshrm.org and click on events. So today we are fortunate to be joined by Deb Gran. Deb is a highly focused, results-driven, and energetic human resources professional with nearly 30 years of HR leadership in the medical software, retail, professional services, and diagnostics, including international proficiency. Deb has extensive experience in organizational development and deployment of HR communication strategies. Deb has been commended by the CEOs and employees that she's worked with for her ability to create engaged workforces through open communication and transparent accountability at all levels in the organization. Deb embraces her age and years of experience and is known for leading with heart. Deb is currently the Corporate VP Human Resources in North America for Diasorin with offices in Minnesota, California, and Canada. Deb's previous experience includes SVP of Human Resources and Corporate Services Americas for Amplifon, SVP of Human Resources at 3M, HIS Soft Med Systems, and Director of Human Resources at GE Capital IT Solutions Ameridata. All right, we are here with VP of HR for Diasaur and Deb Grand. Deb, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you again, Mike, and nice to meet you in person, Jess. Yes, you I'm too. looking forward to our conversation. I really appreciate what Twin Cities Sherm has done for the HR community through events like this where we can share our knowledge and learn from each other. I am part of Diasorin, which is a, an Italian-owned organization that is in the diagnostics field. We are the global leader in the laboratory diagnostics market, specializing in immunodiagnostics and molecular diagnostic segments. Basically, in a nutshell, our diagnostics tests will improve your health and your life by doing early detection and accuracy of tests. Our global headquarters is based in Saluja, Italy, which before you ask me the question, I will tell you, yes, I travel to Saluja. <laughs> it's an unfortunate side of the business, I guess, I but uh, I'll bear the burden. We have about 2,000 employees across five uh, different continents, and our North American headquarters is based in Stillwater, Minnesota for our immuno side and in Cyprus, California for our molecular side. 
I am the Corporate Vice President for Human Resources of North America, and I've been with the company just under 10 months now. I was brought on board to help the company prepare for organizational change and growth that we are posturing ourselves for for the next couple of years. And I do that through a team of HR professionals located in both locations in the Los Angeles Cypress location, as well as the, the Stillwater location. Basically, HR business partners, and we also have a small shared services group that we provide services to. In North America overall, we have about 600 employees made up of incredibly passionate people, uh, very long tenured people in the organization, and very smart people. We have many PhDs, so for this old liberal arts girl, it's been a little bit of a challenge uh, getting up to speed and understanding the business. Uh, don't ask me anything about the diagnostics test themselves, and we'll be good for the rest of the day. Sure. So again, thanks for having me here. You bet, yeah, and thank you for that overview. Definitely want to talk more about Diasorin and the work that you're doing there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also want to take a step back and let our listeners kind of understand you as a person and yep. kind of your career path, um, different size companies. And I mean, you have a very unique um, path, I think, in, in the sense of big company, small company, um, acquisitions. And I'll let you mm -hmm. kind of talk more about that. But why don't you just talk through kind of when you first got into HR and kind of maybe the path you've been on for the last five, 10 years, call it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was planning on being a nurse from a very young age, started nursing school and decided that might not be the right path for me. So I ended up working for a staffing agency that was staffing nurses. So I had been in a nursing environment. I knew the, the lingo. And that kind of got me into my first recruiter job. And from there, I fell in love with the people side of the business. And obtained my first HR position as a staffing person and then grew into an HR generalist and ultimately a regional HR director for a company that was based here in the Plymouth area, primarily in the uh, computer resale business, locally owned and privately held, grew like crazy. So I will say that there were a couple of years that it was really a, a tough experience, mm -hmm. but you know, to your point on the acquisitions, it was one of those times when you really learn a lot. Uh, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about the acquisitions down the road, but that was a great learning experience. I eventually moved to another organization based out in the Bethesda, Maryland area. I followed somebody who had been uh, one of our vice presidents and became a COO of a, of a software company. And we were chartered to get that company ready for sale. The, it was a privately held organization that was primarily in the medical records and the uh, office, medical office software. And uh, they needed a lot of work to get ready. We thought it would take two years. It took us eight, but uh, we got it done. The company was uh, purchased by 3M. So I was with that organization for a period of time as well. Um, and I should have mentioned prior to that, uh, GE had purchased the previous company that I had been with as well. So been where we've been through a small to mid-sized company and then suddenly part of a, a big organization and kind of relishing in the policies that they have and, and understanding the programs that are available to them. After my time with uh, SoftMed, I moved back to Minnesota and I started working for a company called Amplifone. Amplifone is one of the global leaders in the hearing business. They are based out of Milan, Italy, and their North America headquarters is here in the Minneapolis area. And it was a unique experience. It was my first uh, entree into uh, the hearing business, but it was also a company that had 
four different business units uh, as part of their business. So there was a franchise business, there was a retail business, there was a Canadian business, and then there was a member and a benefit-driven uh, business. So it was like working for four different companies mm -hmm. every single day, and each of those businesses had their own vice president, and our human resource team provided services to all of them. So it was a great challenge to be able to bring together the various programs that we did. Um, also, that company was... Um, unique from the perspective of we had 200 employees, but we were servicing multiple franchisees. So if you counted up the numbers of, of people who would eventually perhaps see our services, it was probably into the thousands. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a nice balance to be able to work in that small to mid-size environment, but know that you're touching uh, many right. people beyond that as well. So going back to the Bethesda, Maryland company, mm -hmm. um, you were brought in specifically to Europe for an acquisition. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Um, something that we had discussed is how you handle employees during that process. Um, but what, uh, what was on your plate? What were you trying to accomplish? And then how did you handle the internal communication to everybody during that time? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times when an acquisition is being discussed or you're getting prepared for it, the focus really is on the technical side of the due diligence process. And that's for HR and all the other businesses that help support that, that transaction. But what gets forgotten sometimes is the, the people and what is really the dynamic that's happening within that organization, the change that they're going through, and how do you need to make sure that you are understanding the environment, that you're securing the people that you need to. So at the time that we were going through that preparation, number one, we knew it was an acquisition that had to take place in order for this company to be uh, sold in the future because mm -hmm. they were our marketing arm. We did not have those resources internally. They also had a very strong identity and um, it was important for us to make sure that they were able to maintain that going forward. So while we were doing all of the tactical HR benefits, payroll, all of those uh, transitional views, I was spending a lot of time speaking not only with the owner of that business who was going to be coming on to staff, but only for a period of time. Mm -hmm. I was also getting to know the various leaders within that business to better understand where they thought the challenges were going to be. And including them as often as we could in the communication, knowing that it, all of that still happened in a pretty short period of time, because you can't let too much out until you know exactly what's going to happen and everybody's curious. So for me, the biggest part was making sure that the tactical side of HR was done and we had all of that information. And then sometimes even using that to open the door for communication. Mm -hmm. Meaning when I was talking to the vice president of sales, I already knew what his comp plans looked like, but I asked him to explain them to me because that way I could entertain a conversation with him, understand where his... Uh, push buttons were on the importance pieces of that comp plan and get to know him a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Did the same thing with a couple of the other players as well. And I think that helped us align as we got closer to the end dates. They felt like they were included. They felt like they were not going to be a single entity that wasn't part of the bigger picture as well. Right. In addition to that, we did have a full communication plan where we knew we had specific dates of when we were communicating and, and who and who was responsible for mm -hmm. as well. But I think those were the pieces that were, were really important. I, I also think the last thing related to that particular acquisition is that we made it very clear that they were not going to lose their identity. Their identity was very strong. Mm -hmm. And while the company name was going to be ours, 
they still had their name on their business cards. They still had their name on their email. It was very important to their success to be able to continue with that. And I think that was a, a really good decision on the uh, executive team's part as well. Mm -hmm. So that company is, uh, that one was picked up by 3M. Mm -hmm. um, you've been a part of other ones that picked up, been picked up by larger companies. Um, your thoughts or feelings on large companies versus smaller companies, medium size, which, which, mm -hmm. where do you prefer to spend your time? Yeah, well, I think everybody has a sweet spot of where they fit best. And I have started in, in many organizations where it's been that mid-sized company and have experienced growth and love the growth. And then a big company comes in and, uh, and has an acquisition. And uh, for me, uh, the importance for me is to be able to be in a company that I can know almost every employee. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the time that I was with a company that uh, GE came in and purchased and the same thing for 3M, I stayed on for with both of those companies for a good period of time because I wanted to learn the value of what they had to offer to their employees. And my goal was to spend a couple years with in both of those engagements so that I could in turn take those bigger programs that had been vetted by so many other people mm -hmm. and figure out a way that I can use them in the smaller companies that I would want to work in in the future. And that's what I did. When I went into my position at Amplifone, I felt I was very prepared to transition some of the bigger GE programs like the old nine box and some of the other succession plans and adapt it into a company that number one had never used it before, um, didn't have the breadth of people to be able to do shared assignments and things like that, but able to adapt it to bring something that was worthwhile for the company size that we are. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the size of company I love. My sweet spot is, you know, 500 plus employees. I don't know everybody by name, but you know, you know enough and you get a better a right. good enough feel about the organization that for me helps me uh, dictate what we do next from a from a people perspective if I can get out there and really feel what's going on right so you took some of the ideas of those bigger companies mm -hmm. implemented them into I guess smaller ones we'll say you know 500 right. small medium-sized business um, you hear it sometimes when people talk about how yeah we're smaller we can't do the things that some of the bigger companies do can you talk a little bit about how you took those ideas and implemented them? Talk a little bit about the execution and then also um, why it's important to kind of have that perception that it is possible to do it mm -hmm. um, and not limit yourself if you are a smaller company. And this is kind of you talking to, I would say, smaller companies right. um, that do want to implement some of these programs that the bigger companies do. Right, absolutely. I think the, the first thing is to tell yourself that you can do it. Um, there are really great programs, you know, I'll, I'll reference my time at GE in particular, where they had a fantastic uh, succession program in place, and they had some very good uh, programs where they taught everybody how to utilize these systems. They had a wealth of people and resources behind that. And sometimes when you're in a small to mid-sized company, many times you're the only person, or you have a small HR department to help you so, uh, support those efforts. To me, it's looking at what are the components that are most necessary to make that program successful, and then see how you can carry that through. I'll use the example of the uh, nine box that we had learned uh, so many times at the GE, and then carried that over into one of my other companies. 
the the session C or the nine box process is something that is driven today through a system. It's not the people who are really driving it. But when you're in a smaller company, sometimes you don't have a, a, a great HR system that can electronically deliver all the components. So we outlined what a nine box actually looked like. We then spent time in educating various levels of people of what is a nine box for and why. Got uh, the team at the top level to buy into it first. And once you have that, then the rest of it is really implementation and questions and answers. So that process, though, I would say does take a little bit longer sometimes than you would expect because there's a lot of education that goes along with it. Uh, There's a lot of materials that you can use to adapt to your company, but because those programs are driven by not always a metric, it's sometimes driven by a feeling or Mm -hmm. a thought, you pull as much metrics into it as you can. You want to make sure that everybody is on the same page as far as those expectations. So we put a plan in place after we had gained the executive approval and the buy-in that this was a a component that would be very successful for us. We then uh, trained our mid-level managers and then ultimately carried it all the way over into the employee base as well. Um, That process took us a couple years. It wasn't one year where we did the entire group. We actually did the top level group for the first year uh, Mm -hmm. to 18 months so that we could get a sense of you're somewhat piloting it. We also wanted to see what was the maturity level of our team to be Mm -hmm. able to manage those levels of conversations and also to spend enough time calibrating on what we thought the right things were and how we were measuring people's ability to move forward in the organization. Uh, After that, we then carried it down to the next level of managers and into some specialized uh, areas of the organization. A big part of what we had to also talk about at that time was how far or how open are you in the communication. In an environment like a GE, this type of conversation happens every day. You Mm -hmm. walk around talking about your internal resume. In smaller to mid-sized companies, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's a little bit more behind the scenes. The company might want to know, but they may not be able to openly talk to their employee base about where people are falling within this matrix. So uh, we initially started the assignment on a pretty quiet level and then started to open up as far as what additional assignments we were able to give people as we expanded their uh, participation. Mm -hmm. So it's something that kind of grew gradually as well. Yeah, and the, the communication is, is key. You have mentioned uh, in previous conversations with me that um, it, I think your communication skills is, is something that uh, you know, you've, you've worked on, you've learned over the course of your career. Um, but we also talked a little bit about how being with companies that are international, you've You've been able, like, other yeah. countries view us as, as soft, yeah. is, I think is what you said. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about that and how you've taken the lessons you've learned from working internationally and, and talk a little bit about the conversations that we have here in, uh, I guess we'll call it just in the USA. Sure. Um, and why that needs work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting to see how some of our uh, European colleagues think of us from a communications perspective and, and in turn how we think of them as you know, being a little bit more uh, in our face or abrupt in the communication style. Um, as you and I have talked in the past, I think that you know, the umbrella of communication is 
you know, so important for so many different channels. My focus has typically been what is the conversation and how is the conversation uh, being formulated and how is it being delivered. And during my time in working with international companies, I've had to help adjust that a little bit because uh, you can make a lot of progress if we take a little bit of the European and add it to the Minnesota conversations that mm -hmm. we have here very nicely. We have wonderful Minnesota nice people that um, sometimes have a real challenge in delivering communication in a very fair, um, but a way in which the person can hear it mm -hmm. and not walk away with uh, feeling like the world is ending. Whereas some of our Italian colleagues think that we are soft. They will say things right to your face and their goal is to always challenge you, not to always pat you on the back. And that's how they see uh, the Americans. So I have worked uh, pretty closely with uh, both my past organization and with my colleagues in Italy now, reminding them of some of the things that are important to us on this end. And I've spent an enormous amount of time in both organizations working with the leaders and the managers in particular to number one, better understand what the meaning is behind some of the words, and then also to practice. Um, how do we say things? And, and uh, doing it with uh, compassion when you're delivering a tough message, mm -hmm. but also making sure that the message is heard. And then how do we uh, move forward you know, from that messaging? And lo a lot of that has been through practice. I think I told you I've not always been the best at it. I've worked at it. Um, and so I may do it a little bit better than others right now, but that's just because I've been doing it longer. Mm -hmm. Um, and also as an HR person, you're not always the one who has the emotional tie-in to the person that you're coaching. So it gives you a little bit different lens to be able to talk them through whatever this scenario might be. Whether it's conflict, whether it's something related to their growth, it could be anything, but you can approach it from the, a different perspective and that also helps as well. Can you give me some specifics on what you do as far as training? Mm -hmm. um, with manager, whether it's, you know, are you sitting in the room during that tough conversation? Are you doing role plays? Um, you know, what I found just in, in my career is sometimes if you have somebody from HR present, it becomes maybe very formal yeah. and, and people feel uncomfortable with that. Um, so how do you kind of navigate those waters and, and make sure that you're evaluating, let's say your frontline leaders on their ability to have those conversations? Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time, giving them their space to do it. Yeah, it's a really good question. And we've approached it a couple of different ways. I think, number one, as you said, sometimes when HR is in the room, it seems like it's suddenly a, a performance bad conversation and HR is there to witness it because, you know, we're, we're the HR police. Um, so I think before even entering into those conversations, it's really important that as the HR leader or any of your team members who are, part of this type of program have a reputation in the organization of being open and fair. You've mm -hmm. got to be out there. You've got to let people know what is your philosophy about HR so that if they are participating in one of these conversations, hopefully they know you a little bit, um, either by having worked with you or at least having heard something so that it's not um, HR that's leading the conversation and is there to kind of witness something. Those things happen, but you know that's on a very limited basis. Um, to the second part of the question on 
you know, training people and getting them ready. I think there's multiple ways in which I've done it and I'm sure others have as well. One is participating with the person. Sometimes it's making sure that, you know, they understand what do we want the outcome of this conversation to be? How comfortable are you? Let's practice it. So there's many times, I would say 50 to 70% of my time is talking with people about what they're doing and what some of those steps are. So it's practicing the conversation. Are you ready for it? Um, Having them repeat it. And then um, if they're not ready, then, you know, I offer to lead the conversation. And, you know, I have led conversations and then I've said to the person, give me a sign if you're ready to jump in. Or if I think they're ready to jump in, or I just give them a lead in, like, Deb, would you agree with what I, how I just outlined that? Just to get them to start fostering mm-hmm. that, that level of conversation. And importantly, also, when I am in a meeting like that with an employee and uh, their manager, I outline that at the very beginning. You know, and sometimes when you say it right at the very beginning, it takes away that elephant in the room just by saying, look, I'm here because Deb has a really important message to, to give to you. And she's a little concerned that she's going to get tongue tied. So she's walked me through it. I'm going to help through it. And, you know, that's the only reason I'm here. I'm not HR taking notes for you. Um, and, you know, I always encourage managers to always start their conversations with that. It kind of gives us permission to then take a big deep breath and move through and lets the employee know that we're showing our vulnerabilities as well. Nobody loves to have these conversations. And so sometimes you are going to get a little caught up and you might miss something. So you don't want to get too flustered and you want to give yourself permission to walk through those. There have been other, uh, learnings that I've had with managers and supervisors that lead into those same type of events. I sometimes think it's not one thing that you can do with a manager. It's multiple different trainings that you can do. So some of those that I've given you examples of are one-on-one trainings. But in addition to that, we have in both my current company and my past organization spent a lot of time with our managers and supervisors outlining what is their role in that level of communication and giving them the opportunity to practice it. For me, the practice is the piece that's so important. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very good at it the first couple of times I had those conversations, and it's always hard to find a completely freeing environment to do that, but if you can develop a baseline with a few other supervisors and managers and you can get them together regularly and have them just test some of these conversations, start to build upon them, make them easy to begin with. Um, Everybody can talk to their employee about being late. Okay, so let's use that one. Then add a few more complexities when they're suddenly then getting practice on on questions that they have never had or anticipated. And then you can really start to press them and they gain confidence in those areas. To me, there's all those different components that I think can help. Lastly, I would say in those same environments, one of the things that an HR leader can do is when you're helping the manager or the supervisor with these conversations, they now can go to their leader, VP, whoever it might be, and and go to them with more confidence Mm -hmm. and say, I'm ready to have this conversation. I've practiced it. We've walked through it. And they build a skill without having to go to their manager sometimes and say they don't have it yet. So there's a way in which you can really learn to partner with that level of the organization. It also gives you a sense of who are the upcoming emerging leaders so that you can help coach and uh, encourage maybe at a different level than you would have originally anticipated. Mm -hmm. So it's as much hands-on as you can. With our workforce moving to 
remote. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's heavy in that area now, and oftentimes your manager may not be in the same building as you. Yep. Um, that mixed in with technology and our ability to communicate with people without actually talking to them is. Do you think that plays a role in it? In, in you know people's inability to have those conversations, um, and then on that note as well, you know we want to use technology to help with certain things. How much can we automate within the company, mm-hmm. um, and you know which areas should and shouldn't be automated? Right. Good question. So on the ability to communicate, especially in an environment where you have a workforce that is either not in the office daily or is not in the office at all, there's fabulous technology out there. I do think that people have to use it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to make an effort that's different than all the water cooler talk that we each of us have every single day. There's many work environments m- where I'm currently at and, and past organizations where there's still a lot that's done in the hallway. And so if you have employees who are not there in the office because of their jobs and their location, you have a responsibility to make sure that you're representing that and you're carrying that information out to them. And that's a difficult thing to do if you don't have that mindset. If you think about just a regular work day where we're in the office from eight to five or six or seven, however long we're there, I sometimes don't even get to the next level on the first floor to tell my HR director something. So what am I going to do for my HR director who's in California mm-hmm. or my other person who's you know working from their home office? You really have to make a cognizant effort to share that communication. But as I said, there are easy tools out there. I think that you know we are in a Google environment, so I try to set up every call with people uh, from a Google Hangouts perspective rather than a phone call because I want to see their face. Yeah. I want them to see me. I want to see animation. I want them to see that I'm caring and I'm looking and I'm, and I'm listening. And that does help. Um, it's also really important that the managers and leaders prioritize those calls because it's easy that another meeting will get popped up and the person who's on the phone is not standing in front of you uh, yelling, saying, I need right. you. So they can easily be put aside. Um, and lastly, on the communication piece, I think it's really important for the people that aren't in a corporate office and are in a remote location to give them permission to really be forceful with what they need. You find the people that are successful in being remote people are the ones who know the system. They know who to go to and they won't stop. And, um, and, and that needs to be encouraged and welcomed by the organization uh, so that they can get their jobs done. Mm-hmm. I think on the second piece, and I know you, you and I uh, spoke about this uh, before, Mike, on the whole automation piece. And I think it comes into play in two areas that I've been familiar with. N- number one is companies of a certain size. Uh, don't necessarily have the same automation available to our bigger, you know, Best Buy, you know, 3M and uh, Target type companies. And, um, and secondly, it's the knowledge of how do you use that. I'm the first to say that I think technology is, uh, is, an, is a fabulous tool. And it's something that HR professionals, regardless of the size of company that they work for, they really need to embrace because it comes so it comes faster than you can even imagine. And there are ways in companies that sizes that I've worked that you can embrace that. You don't have to have massive amounts of automation um, in order for you to be successful. In fact, I think there are ways in which you can use automation to help you differentiate yourself if you're able to still hang on to some of the people side of the business. 
And I'll give you an example. There are many things that we've done in both of my previous environments when we look at recruitment and we've added um, AI and other pieces for us to be able to attract candidates. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a chat bot, whether it's something that you do within the talent acquisition environment, you need to show the talent out there that you are not in 1980 and that you are available to them at three o'clock in the morning when they feel like filling out an application. Um, at the same time, the value that a small company brings is that we can still add a little bit more of that human touch that the big companies can't. You know, I'm hiring 100 people a year. Big companies are hiring that a day sometimes. And so in my environments, I've been able to work with talent team to say every candidate that gets interviewed gets a personal conversation when they get the job or they don't get the job. Um, that's something that big companies don't get. And mm -hmm. so it's balancing what the automation can do for you. It gives you uh, consistency. It helps you stay true to your brand. It helps you align with all your requirements for compliance. All of those components are necessary and are really, really important. And at the same time, there are some things that you can still do through that human touch and that people conversation that will differentiate that candidate as to why they might want to work mm -hmm. for you. Because you're always going to be telling them anyway what's different about your company with the size and what we have to offer compared to the big behemoths. And so these are the ways in which you can have those specific touch points. There's also you know electronic touch points that you will build along the way, but I think that the automation is a, a big part of that. Mm -hmm. I think lastly, when we had talked about automation, there are components of automation that, um, again, really focus on the compliance side, which I think is so important, and volume uh, and scalability within organizations. But I also think that there are times when, if there's an emotional thing happening within an organization or something that is very a big conflict, automation doesn't normally help you with mm -hmm. those types of things. That's right. when you have the human interve intervention that comes in. You use the automation to help you maybe get data, but then you've got the people side that it can help you manage that, whether it's a previous candidate or some, somehow, some way, but you uh, pull in that human side to help it through. Mm -hmm. So I'm, what I'm hearing is um, when you're looking at automation, understand the areas of your business that require a human touch mm -hmm. and, and which don't. Yes. And, and then work, you know, towards that goal. So um, that's good insight. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, talk a little bit more about um, your relationships with your executives and how you build those relationships and if they've been good at all of your employers mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how those relationships allow you to execute on the strategic things that you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I'd love to tell you that all those relationships were absolutely perfect, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't always start that way. Um, I'll, I'll start by saying, I think as an HR leader, you have two hats that you wear primarily, um, and, I'm, and I'm oversimplifying it, of course. One hat is the person who is responsible for all of the tactical building of human resources. So everything that you do on a day-to-day -day basis for the systems, the compensation, everything that is along those lines. And as an HR leader, you have to have those things in order mm -hmm. in order for you to be uh, the next side of the leader, which is that trusted advisor, that person who has that different set of eyes within the organization where you can 
look at the company holistically and you can help think in terms of are we structured appropriately? Do we have the right people in play? How do we need to prepare ourselves for three years down the road when maybe you have a large part of your organization that those leaders are all going to be retiring or we no longer have that capacity mm-hmm. in this particular department or uh, we ha- we are programming with a specific language that is going out of date. You know, all of those types of things have happened in, in organizations that I've been in. And that's where, you know, that second set of eyes or that, that advisor comes in uh, that can work really, really well and make a change in the organization and the organization's view of what human resources is. I think that you end up Um, I ended up having very good relationships with the leaders that I've reported to over the years. As I said, it's not always immediate. Not everybody always has an appreciation for HR. Uh, They sometimes think that we're the HR police or the party planners. But that's pretty much long gone. I think mm-hmm. most leaders today want somebody who can be that person who helps advise them on where we want to go and what we can do and understand that if they have a person who is focused on people, that they can help really build an advantage for them. I have done that through being very upfront with the leaders that I have. I've been respectful. I have uh, a very early conversation with most of the executives that I work with that I tell them my office is a little bit like Vegas, what we stay <laughs> says here stays here, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but also when it comes to the direct leader that I have an obligation to make sure that they hear what's going on um, in the way that they need to hear it. Meaning many times if I'm sharing information, I'm not sharing who told me or uh, names, it's more or less, this is something that you need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And part of that is getting them used to the fact that they don't need to know everything. Um, I don't necessarily always want people's names to be out there that they've been, you know, talking about an incident or something, or or just bringing things to attention. It's really more about what's what's the feeling of, of things that are happening. And just sometimes through those trusted conversations, I think the relationships build. If I look at strength finders, relationship building is my number one mm-hmm. and execution is my number two. So I really take a lot of time uh, to share my thoughts, um, usually uh, one-on-one with the executive so that he or she uh, can hear uh, what my thoughts are and how I can help explain those pieces. And I've also had some tough discussions uh, with leaders as well, you know, uh, saying maybe we, we could have done that better, even though I wasn't really we. <laughs> Right. <laughs> or we could have worded that better, um, you know, because at the end of the day, I, my best interest is to make sure that the employees hear the way we want them to hear. And sometimes your messaging needs to be layered to, based upon the, the level of teams that you're working with. That also builds trust with the individual that you're working with as well. So you're initiating the relationship normally. Like if, if you move into a new company, mm-hmm. I remember you mentioned... Um, you know, you spend the first three, four weeks, not necessarily sitting with the HR department, but Mm -hmm. really getting outside of that department and talking to everybody. So uh, a little bit of advice for listeners that, uh, they don't even have to be new. They could just be at their company and maybe they just, they've never taken that initiative to go to executive leadership to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, how would you recommend going about, like, what do you talk to them about when you first get there? Is it personal? Is it 
business? Is it both? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a little bit of both. I think that both of my last companies, uh, I spent my first probably four to six weeks with very limited time with the HR team. I told both teams, you know, you're doing well, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you'll get to know me soon enough. And mm-hmm. I certainly shared some information about myself with them. But my goal was to really understand the company and the people and what they thought of HR. You know, what what was HR's mission and what was our reputation? What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? And starting with those conversations with employees and managers then leads into the bigger conversations. But if I started with HR, people want to dump. They want to tell you exactly what they think. Mm-hmm. And then you can build from there. Well, then how does that how does that compare to this in the organization? So it's really a door opening uh, to be able to gain a bigger picture of what's happening in the organization. I was amazed at how open people were both times, uh, the last two companies that I've started with. Uh, I think if I had listened to some people, I probably would have left the company. Um, uh, you know, they told me, I, I don't, I don't know how you're going to make it here, but I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) I lasted 11 years, so I think it worked out okay. But you know, you want to know all that information ahead of time because then you can go back and you can build a plan and you can be honest with your HR team. You can say, here's what I heard. I'm not saying it's absolutely what's happened, but this is, this is our customer's reality. Mm -hmm. And my focus has always been to be a customer centric organization. And that means that I need to be available for every employee, for every situation. It doesn't mean that I do the work for them, but I have to understand that they are my customers. And if we don't have a reputation of being trusted, of being customer centric, then we will never build ourselves into the HR department that everybody dreams about being. And so, as I said earlier, you know, kind of making sure your house is in order, those are the things that are really important. I had very similar conversations with executives as well. Talk to me about HR. What do you want in HR? What do you not want in HR? And then leading into more conversations about them, their roles, their teams. Because my goal was to, to start a relationship with them, but then also better understand where are some of the organizational challenges that they might be having. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they have a, a big miss or a big a gap in some of their managerial skills that they've got the right people, but we haven't put the, the right training programs together things like that. Um, I share some personal things. Um, I'm always willing to share some of the oops that I've done in the past so that I don't do them again. Um, and also just to be able to uh, give credit where credit is due and recognize that if I've seen that they've really built something incredible to tell them that so that it's, uh, it's genuine and and they know that, um, they can trust me as well. Mm -hmm. What are you, um, what are you guys working on today? You know, I, we, we talked, um, we've talked a few times and you've mentioned that, you know, they're, the talent war is real mm-hmm. and, and you guys are going through some of those struggles and trying to find people. But, um, what's at the top of your list right now that you're working on? If, if you can share, yeah. um, and shed some light on kind of what you're doing to, to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <clears throat> like many companies, it is the talent war. And I think for us, our biggest challenge has been that we don't have a brand that, uh, potential employees recognize. And I think a lot of smaller, mid-size, um, even some large companies have that same challenge. For me, it's how do you build that as well as be able to give the right story to people. Uh, it's interesting, at my current company, we have a very uh, effective referral program. So about 
over 45% of the people we hire come in from referrals. So that tells you something really positive yeah. about the organization. So we are looking at how do we expand that? How do we get ourselves out there so people understand what type of work environment this is, what type of opportunities you know, are available. So I've spent the last six months really focusing on the talent acquisition side. Um, what are we doing for uh, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, how are we building our reputation? Uh, we've made some significant changes to how we go about not just finding and sourcing candidates, but what is that candidate experience from the moment that we contact them? Mm-hmm. Um, goes back to a little bit of what I've talked about as far as the, the human touch. I believe it's really important to make sure that you are responsive uh, that you set the right timeframes from a communication perspective. If it's going to be three weeks, it's going to be three weeks, but then let's say that um, so that we're keeping our candidates uh, warm and um, seeing us as an effective um, employer. So a lot of the things that we've been working on are really those behind-the-scenes processes. Mm-hmm. How are we showing ourselves to the um, outside candidates? And then also, how are we building our internal relationship with hiring managers? This organization was used to uh, working with a lot of outside agencies to be able to meet the needs of their hiring. And part mm-hmm. of that was because we in HR, we weren't uh, staffed correctly we, and we didn't have the right uh, responsibilities aligned to be able to meet the needs of the managers. So we've done some adjustments there so that we are now partners and we're not just the paper paper pushers once mm-hmm. they've decided they want somebody. And that's been done primarily through those communications of, of talking to the hiring managers about how we can do this, why we should be doing this, and what the long-term benefit is. Just showing that it's not only the uh, huge cost that goes into play when you're using an agency, but it's the, the turnover and the ability that if you bring people in yourself or if you're using people who are coming in through referral, you can show that uh, the longevity of those employees are, is going to change, and usually their engagement level is higher as well. So that's the first thing that we've really been working on. The second thing that we've worked on in the time that I've been there is uh, the communication as a whole and uh, the level of engagement of our employees. Um, and when I say that, I mean that you know we do have employees who are engaged and passionate about the business, but we're also at a bit of an impasse when it comes to how are we communicating to them. Uh, being that we're in a scientific environment and uh, we have a lot of employees who have been there for a long time, Sometimes they, there are many employees who know the president, so they feel like they know all of the communication or should know all the communication that's happening. And so we've lo- kind of lost our way, I think, for a period of time of not overly communicating and just making assumptions, maybe that everybody mm-hmm. knew. At the same time, because we're in a scientific environment, I think sometimes everybody wants to have every single piece of communication, and if we don't, then we're not transparent. Right. And for me, transparency is sometimes saying, no, I can't tell you this this now and here's why. So we've been working as an executive team to uh, build those types of communications and we've uh, set up monthly meetings with the employees as well as our managers to first of all prepare the managers for here's what we're going to talk about and here's what it means to you. And then secondly, having the following week, the uh, week uh, meeting with the employees where it's just called let's talk and the overall goal is to let's talk. We'll come to the table as executives and give you some updates on things. And if there's something you really want to know about, let us know beforehand. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea is to start that communication that is informal and impromptu. 
And that's very difficult for a lot of organizations, but in particular in a, in a scientific organization where everything is talked about is so scientifically driven that there are not these tweaks that happen along the way. So um, we've been doing that for the past six months. I'm seeing lift, I'm seeing people participating more. And, um, and many pockets of the organization were doing this already themselves, mm -hmm. but we're giving them an opportunity to do it uh, on, a, on a larger basis so that the, the leaders are seen. How do you um, kind of keep your finger on the pulse with your employees as far as knowing if they are happy with the communication? Yep. Um, we've had people talk about this before, and there's a lot of research done about kind of the, the gap between what executives believe is going on versus what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, you, know, you may talk to a lot of them. They say, we got a great culture. Communication's good. We send out a lot of info. Our people are happy, but then you talk to the employees and they don't necessarily feel that way. Yeah. Um, talk about, you know, one, how do you, whether it's surveys or just conversations, how do you keep, you know, finger on the pulse on that? And then also how is HR conduit between the employees and the executives to actually bring an accurate message to both sides? Mm -hmm. Good question. I think you try to do everything you can to keep a pulse on what's going on. Mm -hmm. You're not always going to have all of that, but you do it through uh, multiple channels. One is engagement surveys. I think a lot of companies do those, mm -hmm. and I think there's a place for them. It's a It gives you a barometer uh, mm -hmm. at a place in time what those employees were feeling about particular issues. And it gives you a launching point as well to hopefully have some conversations related to that. Um, I get a little bit uh, queasy if that's the only thing a company is right. doing, but I think it's part of your toolkit. Um, and it should be explained that way as well. It's part of the toolkit. It helps us mm -hmm. engage in conversation. Um, I think there's also a, a big portion of making sure that there's a lot of impromptu conversation. So like I did at the beginning where I had focus groups, I continually schedule meetings with employees that haven't met me yet. Mm -hmm. My goal was to try to meet everybody I could in my first year of employment. I haven't done it yet. But um, if I've, I see turnover that maybe has happened in a department or I've heard somebody's name maybe more than once or twice, either in a good way or a bad way, I'll just schedule a time with them and just say, talk to me. And I've also reached out to managers and uh, to say, tell me about somebody. Who else should I be meeting with so I can get a better understanding? Right. Um, that allows me to get further into the organization, lets people know that there's another place that they can go to for conversation, but then it helps me validate some things as well. I can then go back to managers and and ask them a little bit more about what's happening in their department and better understanding what they're doing with the, the growth or the organizational design. And I can also encourage their leaders to have uh, bigger discussions uh, across the board as well. I think that HR can be the catalyst for those types of programs or conversations, but they don't have to be. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just somebody who really is focused on learning more about the organization and, and has that savvy or the ability to have those conversations. Many times it is the HR leader. Um, and I think, again, because HR is usually hopefully seen as that neutral leader in the organization and people should be willing to have an open conversation as well. I think there's also a couple of tools out there that are being used to help with that. We have uh, recently engaged with Quantum Workplace. It's a software platform that allows you to do pulse surveys. Mm -hmm. It allows you to do a very quick 360. It allows you to track goals and, and multiple other things, exit interviews and so forth. 
we're using it primarily for uh, pulse surveys as well as um, 360 process. And we're doing that through a way in which it's not an HR-led plan plan right it's something that the employees and or the leaders can use because we again we don't want it to come back to hr like we're now going to use this information for something that you know somebody's going to get in trouble for we want to use it for a learning opportunity for that manager and or that employee so that we can uh, really encourage them to have conversations and so each of those tools can be facilitated by the manager or the employee and each of them will be trained and given full access to that that way we are really encouraging our employees who aren't in supervisory roles yet to practice those conversations as well mm -hmm. so those are just some examples sure and, and especially to your question earlier on a smaller company packages like quantum are not expensive you know they are not multi thousands and thousands of dollars um, they work very well with small to mid-sized companies and can give you that extra oomph from a communication perspective if you don't have an intranet or if right. you don't have something that's branded those are the perfect types of systems sorry <laughs> uh, to go to because they give you a really good framework and uh, you can al always do a little bit of working as far as if you want to integrate it into something else as well absolutely what's the cadence for these pulse surveys is there, did you have to take a step back and decide how you want to approach that? Um, because I think when we talked, you said mm -hmm. you were doing annual surveys. Yep. So once a year and now it sounds like you're going to be doing more. Um, certain employee checkpoints yep. that you're doing it at. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So our, our regular system has a program that it has an annual review and that's done through our HR system. Mm -hmm. We have success factors and then we have a mid-year review that is a less formal review but it's it's a touch point. Um, we are now going to be adding two touch points in the opposite quarters of those two major annual or biannual um, meetings. This will be done through a program that will not be uh, integrated into the HR system, at least for the first couple of years. HR will be outlining what the cadence is, what the communication tools should be, when the meetings should take place, and how you can have those conversations. It's something similar that we did in my last company that we called the chat. The chat we did twice a year, and it was meant to just have something on the calendar where the employee and the manager would have a conversation. And what we did was we gave them a toolkit that said, we give them three different templates. If you want to have a conversation with your employee, you can do use these three templates or you can use one of your own. But the first template was based upon, let's just talk about your goals and your performance. You know, the third one was based upon, you know, what do you want to do from a career growth perspective? And then the third one was, how do I have conversations with you just about learning about you? Um, and we let the manager select what conversation they were going to have with the employee based upon their level of comfort and uh, what the scenario was with that employee. Then we also told the employees, this is what's coming and this is the reason. So we had opportunity to train everyone. We launched that the first year and had that meeting twice a year. So it was on the off time of the annual and the mid-year. Uh, the second year that we went into it, we changed the questions just a little bit. And then we had the employee send the meeting, not the manager. And we gave the questions to the employee because we wanted the employee to be in the seat that they were empowered to be asking questions and learning how to ask questions. And the only thing that HR did in both of those programs was set up the information at the beginning and the cadence of how you can do it. 
and then the announcement that it was coming. And then at the very end, we just said, hopefully you've had your conversations. We're going to send out a survey monkey just because we want to know how many people did. Mm -hmm. Similar to what we're doing in the current company is building that same type of cadence so that, again, it's it's not done in a way that is punitive if the manager isn't doing it well. It's practicing those conversations. And so HR will be responsible for putting the tools in place, but the employees and the managers will be responsible for having the conversations. Mm -hmm. And you know, I know it's not always the the easiest way to start a conversation. I think some managers said, okay, I didn't know what to say. I asked the three questions and we were done in five minutes. I'm like, okay, that's okay. You had five or 10 minutes. Now, next time, go have coffee off site. Mm -hmm. You know, do something that's a little bit different. Give yourself permission to have a different type of conversation. Um, because I think it's important that, you know, we don't get stuck in, the fact that we can't get to know our employees. I want to know our employees. I want to know much, as much about them as they want me to know because I think it's important that we bring ourselves to work every day and that they do as well. And many times, especially on the HR side, we've been a little bit afraid to have those types of discussions because it could go into an area that the company doesn't necessarily want to. Mm -hmm. I think today most people are very skilled and know where they shouldn't be going from a communication perspective. So I want people to have the, that openness and that ability to talk with their employees, mm -hmm. talk with each other about who we are as individuals. So, you know, if my mom is sick or, you know, my father has Alzheimer's, I want, you know, those things are important um, to know about people. And that's, I think, what makes a difference in a company is if you care enough to be risky enough to have those conversations, then people really do think you care. And, and that you want to know about them. Right. Yeah, we actually talked about that with um, Angie Freeman and C.H. Robinson in our first episode. about, And, and they had fear of yeah. going to the employees and, and doing some of these surveys and asking yeah. for feedback. Mainly because maybe you just, you, there may be things you can't control yeah, um, or things you can but maybe aren't willing to. Um, but I think the overall feedback was positive in that scenario. So to your point mm -hmm. of, um, care enough to take that risk yeah. to, to be a better employer to your employees is, um, it's a great message. Um, as far as you personally, and, and we'll kind of wrap this up. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to understand for you personally, um, I guess we'll call it your heroes, but who, who's influenced you personally and professionally? Good question. So, well, personally, I've been influenced and, and very fortunate to have worked with a lot of really great HR people. I think there's, uh, there's two people that professionally have influenced me, and both were uh, non-HR people because they were business leaders that forced me to become a business person when I wanted to just stay being an HR person. Um, so it was the first president that I worked for. And, you know, my first meeting with him, I was bringing up something ridiculous, I'm sure, about um, HR. And, and he said, look, and he handed me a P&L and he basically said, I want you to understand this P&L. And I had no clue. <laughs> but it was a great opportunity. And I always felt like he had my back, but he also wanted me to be more than what an HR person maybe had been. And I was his first HR person that had, was part of his team. Um, the second was a business leader that I worked for with for 10 years, and he was very tough, very strong, but he really appreciated the people side. And so I think I told you the story about my office being in a closet. Mm -hmm. So when I first started there, my office was a, actually a closet, and you had to go through a conference room <laughs> to get there. 
Um, and he came looking for me shortly after he started. And uh, when he found me, he said, this really is your office. And I'm like, yeah, this is my office. You know, it's, we're growing. We're having to find <laughs> place. And he said, no, I need you visible, you know, in the organization. So um, quickly moved me into the beginning of the uh, middle part of the building. And I thought, hmm. So he was a business partner who really had a strong approach about the people side. Uh, he was very business focused. And he always said, you know, in a very nice way, he was the brains and I was the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not, not indicating that I didn't have a brain. Um, it, it was a very compliment that I would approach things from the perspective and help him see things differently. We became very strong partners. So I think from that perspective, um, I was very fortunate to work for an individual like him. I'm not going to say his name because he's already got a big sure. enough head. Um, <laughs> he knows how, how great I think he is. Um, I think from a, a industry or even, you know, reading books, you know, I don't think you'll be surprised to know that I follow Simon Sinek. I think he's mm-hmm. amazing. I think Brene Brown is amazing as yeah. well. And there are so many others as well. But for me, the both of them tell us so many things in a very simple language. And I think that that's what's really important. Right. It's how can we how can we easily relate it to ourselves and to others and share that message so that it's not like reading, reading an academic book, but it's a very simple message told in today's terms. Yeah. Um, and I've learned a lot from, from uh, reading and listening to all their podcasts and so forth. In fact, I'm very excited I did get tickets to see him when he's here next spring. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for that. And, and thank you for joining us today, Deb. It's been mm-hmm. a pleasure. Uh, can, can you tell your listeners, if you're, our listeners, if you're comfortable, how they can connect with you? Absolutely. First of all, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. I can't believe the time flew by mm-hmm. this quickly. Uh, as you know, I love talking about human resources and the value that they bring to an organization. And I'm always happy to connect with anybody who wants to have further conversations. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm on there daily and posting and checking messages. Uh, my TA t- team taught me that. <laughs> so I, I try to follow that really well. And I'd be glad to connect with anybody um, through that event. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get the podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have suggestions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email us at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcshrm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.